Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez. And today we are joined by... Justin Fraction. Yay. Voiceover actor. <laughs> yes. Justin is wonderful. Um, oh, thank you. Where are you located, Justin? Uh, normally I'm in New York, and then I moved to Los Angeles... Right now, I'm visiting family in Pittsburgh. So lovely. I'm in LA now. So that's awesome. We can hang out and send Ian pictures. <laughs> Join us, Ian. <laughs> I would love that. Actually, one day either I'll, I'll get. One day I'll get somewhere. <laughs> one day I'll get somewhere. <laughs> isn't that everyone? All, isn't that all of our mantras? All Seriously, of yeah. <laughs> um, well. Today we're talking about a very special Buffy episode. Yes. I think it's a very special one. Um, but before we get there, let's start at let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. Justin, um, we always ask our guests, our lovely guests, to tell us how they came to Buffy the Vampire Slayer or what is your Buffy origin story. So, what is the first episode you saw? When did you start watching it? Who told you to start watching it? You know, how did you find it? Well, I'm in a really rare position where the television series sort of ran parallel to my life. And we'll get to this, I guess, in a few minutes. But, like, uh, Willow announces at the beginning of this episode that they are seniors in high school and they can leave campus. But that was also what I was doing at that point. I was also a senior in high school. I started by watching the movie. I was a huge fan of the movie. I even bought the soundtrack. And so when I found out that there was going to be a television series, I started at episode one. So that was my first episode. So you saw Welcome to the Hellmouth live on Live. TV. Yes. I, I was sitting at home watching it. It, it was... I'm one of those people. I got to grow up with the series, and I just continued on through the entire run of the show. So were you I around... So you were around this, you're like the same age as Buffy and her friends are saying? I am the exact same age as Buffy, yes. Okay. Justin Amazing. and I are the two oldest gay men on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Stop. Um, so, okay. So yeah, that's, that's a really good, that's good. So you started from the very beginning. So for those who are listening and you've probably already read the name of the episode and the description, we're here to talk about Faith, Hope, and Trick which is this third episode of the third season and it is there's a lot happening and I it's rem- my first episode the first full episode of Buffy I ever watched oh right so yeah oh. actually what I didn't realize so th- this is Ian's first episode my first episode was Anne so actually we both did start on season three yeah maybe that's why we're both biased and love it so much no I actually just think Buffy season three is objectively the best season <laughs> <laughs> If I recall correctly from when this season started, this was like the season where I came back to school and everybody was into the show. Everyone was. So it, it must have been something going on at that point. Well, you know what? It, I think, you know, we, we've talked about this a couple of times. Like the, the, the magazine that most kind of trumpeted the show in a lot of ways was Entertainment Weekly. Like they've yeah. always been Buffy stands and they always were putting Sarah on the cover and or Sarah and David. Um, and... They were really keen on season three, and they 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 promoted it a lot. And by the end of it, they had called it the best show on TV for this season from 1998 to 1999. It was rated their their number one show that was on TV that that TV season. Um, so they, I think that was like it was just you know it was part of the cultural conversation in a way, especially after I think after the season two finale, people were really heralding like the storytelling that yeah. had happened. And then I know Joe Reed, who's our perpetual guest. Um, he always says like they would do reruns during the summer so people could catch up. So I imagine a lot of people were catching up between two and three and then coming back. And then they were just so lucky enough that on season three, their storytelling game was just like at, at peak you know, just like at a, at a peak, at a kind of zenith. Um, and it kind of retained a lot of fans. That's the, my, you know, estimation. 
Yeah, television was different back then. We didn't really have a summer season. So, like you said, right. shows would just re-air over again. And that probably got a lot of people on board. This aired in 1998 on October 13th. Look yeah. You. Huh. Um, so, uh, let's get to, let's dive into talking about this episode. Okay, so I still love this episode. Um... I so are we are we allowed to talk about this now? So I've rewatched it. I mean, season three, I basically could do a podcast by memory of all the episodes and wouldn't need to rewatch them. Um, I rewatched it this week and it was really hard not to watch it through the lens of the really awful news that came out. Um, and watching everything Faith does back then, I wanted to be her. Like I just was like she's so cool, like, I thought she was the pinnacle of, like, cool, vaguely punk rock chick that I wanted, that I aspired to be. Um, but looking back on it now, and I think you've mentioned this, Matthew, she's supposed to be younger than Buffy, and she's, like, a super, like, everything she says is a sex pun. Yeah, that's, so, I mean, I I, I guess we're gonna jump right into Faith, because I thought we were gonna go through the episode. Kind <laughs> no. of sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> as we usually do. I don't know why you're breaking with tradition, Ian. As I said, but, as I always say, you never get it together, so. But yeah, so I mean, even when we do, so we can kind of skip, so just, you know, as just we're going through it sequentially, they do have that first conversation um, outside of school when they go off campus for lunch and Buffy's not allowed on campus yet, so. Oh, right, right, right. They have the initial, kind. they have that little lunch that Buffy preps and they do mention Scott Hope, which is one of one of the three names in the in the uh title is Scott Hope. Um which is funny that he gets his name in the title because I don't think he's really on par with yeah. Faith and Mr. Trick, but he's there. Um and then we also get uh the introduction to Mr. Trick, which I actually think his monologue talking about Sunnydale is maybe the longest a black person has spoken on Buffy the Empire yes. ever. <laughs> yes. And they, he's also like, they. I feel, because I'm 100% positive that the person who wrote this is white, and they really, like, lean in to him being black in this opening monologue, and I just really want to be like, who wrote this? That upset me so much, because they actually have him take something from Porgy and Bess and sort of bastardize it and spit it out again in his own way. Oh my god, like, really? Well, super stereotypical which mm-hmm. i as a black person i was happy to see another black person on the show yeah but like that was the first thing he said so i'm like okay yeah and it's i mean it's a really long monologue just in general and and i think if we talk about it from a cinematic perspective or just like from a tv watching perspective it is a really interesting opening scene like him talking about arriving in sunnydale you don't know who's with him they kind of keep who ends up being Kakesis in the shadows, and then, like, they're going through that drive-through. It's almost like a very, like, Pulp Fiction-y, like, we're just talking to talk. Yeah, like, like I feel scene. like... Mis- I feel like Mr. Trick, I wish he had more of, like, a villainy arc, because he was such a weirdly different villain, almost in the vein of the way Spike was... I Like... Like you said, like it's kind, it is kind of pulp fictiony. Like they're just kind of like standing there talking, and he like mentions that Sunnydale's mostly white. Like it feels like not, ve- I don't know. It feels like definitely different from the rest of like Joss's writing. I don't know. Which well, you're right. The- they, if they stole it from something, then yeah, that's probably. Yeah, one of the things I did like about Mister Trick is that he's very much into. Thinking the big picture, that's what he wants to do. He, he's not thinking just Sunnydale and killing Slayers. He wants way more than that. And I think that's a big turn from what we've seen previously from other villains. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think the, I think the thing with Mr. Trick that I think wasn't, you know, that is, is a bummer is that, like, he is, as I think exactly what you said was right, Justin, is that he's a big thinker and it kind of doesn't jive with the role that he's given because he ends up just kind of playing number two to the, to the two powerful people. He's like, yeah, he, and he's number two to Kikistos. And then when Kikistos dies, he falls in with the mayor and he kind of ends up being an elevated lackey. Like he's not, he's kind of a right hand man, which is 
in a lot of ways the um maybe like the go-between role between lackey and like confidant or something but it's kind of funny because he is very smart and calculating and like even just his analysis of, of the whole town i mean we're getting that's really what the monologue is is an analysis of what's happening in sunnydale and like you can see he's really smart, but like he kind of just ends up being number two to other to other uh, demons and vampires and what and whatnot in the show. So I do wish that Mr. Trick were given, and we'll talk about this more as as time goes on and we keep seeing Mr. Trick because he actually does stay through through the season, even though he doesn't have a lot to do. He does stay in the season for a while. Um, but yes, now we can go to the bronze where they uh, see Faith. And so the first time they see Faith, they don't know if she's a slayer and they just kind of see her dancing. And I actually think that that dancing scene, the way Eliza Dushku dances as Faith is like kind of iconic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then they go try to say, think they're going to save her and then they see her slaying whatever. So one of the things, and that's what, so that's what Ian was saying. um, And I would love to hear you talk about this, Justin, what you think is that, You know, they always talk about Slayers get called very young. Like, Buffy, at this point at season three, has been a Slayer for about two years, and she's only 17, so she was 15. Faith got the call kind of when Kendra died. So I imagine Faith has to be 16, but they really, like, turn her into this, like, sex pot right away. Like, she talks about slaying, making her horny and hungry, and I'm like... Or hungry and horny, and I'm just like she's 16, probably, and like Like, naked wrestling an alligator, (laughs) and naked wrestling an alligator, and like I get that they're trying to. I think Joss, you know, wants to have a show that is for that is consumable for teens and adults. So he, he, even though they are young, he ages them up in maturity a lot, and they have to because they're dealing with like the end of the world. They're not dealing with like Dawson's Creek problems. (laughs) They are dealing with like life and death situations in a way that it does make you mature, but. They really age Faith up in terms of, I think, you know, all the rest of them at this point, except, well, Buffy's not a virgin, but obviously Xander is, and, and Willow is, and we we don't know about Cordelia, though they allude to it a, a couple of times, but I think that, like, as a writerly device, sex equals, like, maturity or badness or whatever, and so they just have, not badness, but, like, being a bad girl or being, being like, like edgy, yeah. badass, rather, um, and so, like, they have to they don't know any other way to convey that she's like a different kind of girl than just making her super sexual. I think the thing about faith is that we're supposed to sort of understand that she's going to serve a couple of purposes here. Uh, the first one is she's going to help Buffy sort of come out of her shell and stop being so uh, controlled and uptight. And that's the, I think you mentioned earlier that uh, Scott hope is his name is in the title, but Later on, we're going to find out about her relationship, or rather this possible relationship with Scott, but that only happened because of Faith, and Faith's wildness, and Faith sort of encouraging her to, you know, try something, go for it. So that's related. Also, Faith is the complete and total opposite of someone like Kendra. So we um, we have Faith that is super sexual, she loves to fight, she's doing all kinds of stuff, but then we had Kendra who was super controlled and super uptight. So and I who think, wasn't allowed to talk to boys. Exactly. So so it's sort of like we're getting this whole range of slayers, but at the same time, we're getting one that is the complete and total opposite of the previous one who was mentioned a couple of times throughout the episode. So so while I understand she's 16, she's being very sexual, I think that we've already had another slayer who wasn't like that. And then we have Buffy, who's sort of in the middle of those two things. Well, I think what's interesting is that as the season progresses, we'll see a lot of, um, I mean, we'll, we'll see Faith and Buffy being played even more off of each other. But what you said, Justin, that's really interesting is that really Faith and Kendra are opposites, but the show, because we see the show through Buffy's eyes, the, the show wants us to see Buffy and Kendra as opposites, but then later wants us to see Buffy and Faith as opposites. Um, yes. And those may actually be like false dichotomies. Like the the opposites may actually be Kendra and Faith, and Buffy. Maybe the reason she's successful is that she's able to maybe take a little bit of both. Like we obviously see her learn not to treat like you know Kendra kind of came in to teach Buffy not to think of her not to think of being a slayer as a job to think of it as a calling, and then 
we do see, I think Faith does rub off on Buffy in some good ways too. Um, but then we see what happens when you take your Slayer responsibilities and think that it makes you immortal or like better than other people. Um, so they're not really opposites. Buffy's kind of, you're right, in the middle on the spectrum between Faith and Kendra. Yeah, um, and I I think, wasn't it you that said this in another podcast, Matthew, that probably what they do with Faith is the writers were like, oh, we could have done more with Kendra, and then they, like, put it all in Faith, maybe? Um, I don't know. I will, and that, It wasn't in terms of the personality thing. I think it was just in terms of, like, they saw early on the um, the potential in having another Slayer, but Kendra was not going to be the one to, like... They could not have elevated Kendra to the status of Faith and, like, have her keep coming in. Like, she was too one-note, and so they needed a character like Faith because you weren't going to draw out, like, a bookish Slayer from Buffy and have that be an interesting plotline. You had to make her flirt with like wildness which is interesting because in the previous season she had sex with someone who was like evil and killed all her friends so like that is (laughs) flirting with wildness in one way um but this is like a different way to explore kind of buffy's animalistic um nature or you know like her other side um also i want to say that i have a lot to say about faith's introduction i think it's really good um I love that Buffy goes out to save her, and for me, that's, like, everything I love about the show, is, like, even Buffy, who is supposed to be, like, you know, the opposite of the trope of, like, the blonde girl running away from the monster, like, she's going to save this girl that she thinks is in danger, and then, like, Faith just, like, kicks the crap out of him and is like, you're Buffy, right? And takes a stake and just kills the guy, and she's like, I'm Faith. Um... And Buffy's, like, kind of, like, dumbfounded because she didn't expect it. And, like, all of that and Faith's absolutely ridiculous outfit. All, like, I love okay. it. <laughs> I'm going to defend this outfit. <laughs> I, I knew that, you were, that someone was going to bring up this outfit and I was going to have to defend it. Because that style, I mean, first of all, the arm socks, that's very Britney Spears of the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, it was, it's, it's just... It, it's it's of a time. Those pants. <laughs> what every? I mean, Buffy wore what? Is, wait, what? What kind of pants were Faith was Faith wearing? She's wearing like it's like gold shiny with like a red pattern. It's, okay, I would wear those pants now. Okay, and then also she has a boob window with tassels hanging across the boob window. <laughs> I will not let I will not let this face outfit slander stand. <laughs> I think I like for me it's like all of those are are very of the time but together it's just like woof (laughs) well um let's talk about let's go a little further now well I mean actually no let's harp on that for a second because I think that also they're it's it's visual signaling right it's it's saying like because Buffy would never wear that and I feel like that's actually kind of the point is that like Buffy, I mean, and I've talked about this a million times, season three is, like, the most demure Buffy dress season. Like, she wears little bows in her hair and flowers. She's wearing cute dresses. And I think actually thinking, now actually thinking about this in depth, like, I think it's actually, they they drove Buffy in that direction to almost disassociate her from Faith. Because Buffy was dressing, like, I mean, Buffy does dress very sexy in general. It starts too later, but in her senior year of high school... If you watch, she's wearing the prettiest little dresses. And I think it's to, like, try and make it so that when she does go bad with Faith for, like, that one episode where she completely walks out on an exam and nothing happens, (laughs) um, that they make it, like, it seems like a much more dramatic transformation. So they actually have to bring Buffy into this, like, this other, this other fashion realm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Uh, I agree with, I would totally agree with that. Um, and I think your comparison to Britney Spears is probably pretty apt because at the time, yes. Britney was like the pinnacle of like, I don't know, like sexuality and like. Well, no, she wasn't yet. So I just want to remind. She wasn't her. yet. Okay. This was, so this <laughs> aired in '98 when Baby One More Time would be coming out. Um, and she, so oops, I did it again. Had not even yet come out. So we hadn't oh, okay. seen Britney in that red dress, 
we still saw her as like baby one more time um sometimes so she was still very innocent okay the the sock of the super bowl wouldn't happen until like 2000 2001 just saying so <laughs> so faith predated britney yeah she did she was a trendsetter <laughs> <laughs> um also i love so i love the whole com- i just i really love the whole I took an Ambien when I watched this episode, and I gift like, almost the entire episode. Like, I love the whole conversation of when Faith's telling them about everything, and Xander's just such a buffoon, and he's yeah. like, tell me more about the naked alligator wrestling, oh and my Cordelia, gosh. I love Cordelia being like, find a new theme, Xander. Um, like, her, her, like, interactions in that scene, and I know I always talk about Cordelia, and I know Justin also loves Cordelia, um, Justin, fan. oh my yes. gosh, you belong on SlayerFest 98. <laughs> like, Justin, I often think of you when I, like, think of when I'm, like, watching it, and I'm like, oh, I love Cordelia so much. I'm like, oh, Justin. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's what I want people to think when they see Cordelia. <laughs> I think one of the best parts about this episode, that, that sort of a theme throughout, is that everyone seems to like Faith, except for Cordelia. <laughs> Cordelia is not entirely sold. The first time she sees her, she calls her slut Orama. That's what I love so much about her. <laughs> yeah, and then... Well, there's a, there's a certain type of... I mean, we know from season two, uh, one of Ian's favorite lines is about Cordelia lacking tact. <laughs> is yeah. that everyone is very, like, ooh, new slayer in town, who's this girl? Let me find out about her. And Cordelia, in a very Cordelia thing, just, like, makes a snap judgment. And it's like, <laughs> she's a slut... And now my boyfriend <laughs> is like trying to get like is into her and he's openly flirting with her right in front of me, um, which is, of course, very Xander and very fucking rude. And like, <laughs> so, I mean, it's it, she has the most reason to make that snap judgment. But I mean, like in Cordelia's world, there's just like people that she likes and people that she doesn't like and people that she's willing to stick, stick her neck out for and not. And I like very early on that she's just like anti-faith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, I love all of Cordelia's interactions in that whole scene, because Cordelia... Cordelia's the one that's like, oh, I get it. Kendra died, and now Faith's here. And then, she, like, I just... She's so... Like, oh, okay, I get it. And now I'm over it. Like, we're done with this. Let's move on. Um, and I also love when Faith... Because, like, you're right. Buffy's so demure, and then Faith says, oh, isn't it crazy how slang makes you hungry and horny? And everyone looks at Buffy. Like, for me, that's such a good moment. And she's like, didn't we use that in trivia, Matthew? Yeah, and she says, sometimes I crave a, a low-fat yogurt, yogurt. Yeah. A non-fat yogurt. <laughs> like, I, I... I forget, like, how much I... Like, this episode does a lot, not just introducing Faith, but does a lot, character-wise that we get forever with Buffy. Um, well, yeah. Well, there's also, so some of the things, something that happens in the next scene where um, Willow and Xander are like walking Faith around the school is like, I and we've talked about this a lot. I always feel like Buffy's friends are really qu- quick to throw her under the bus. And like, they just <laughs> met Faith and Faith is telling them that like, Buffy doesn't know how to have fun. And they're all totally on board. And like, all of a sudden, they're all just like on the Buffy's No Fun Brigade. <laughs> and they're like telling her that she's like a stick in the mud. And it's like, um, girl just had to kill her boyfriend. Or like, her, like, <laughs> can you like leave her alone? And she was living by herself in a trash apartment in LA. And then she came back and y'all threw her a party where everyone died. Like, <laughs> and you like wonder why she can't find the fun. Like, you have no... Like, I just get so mad when they approach her and they use Faith's words and they're like, you need to try to find the fun bee. Oh my God, like, yeah. Why yes. don't they stick up for her? And they're like, well, um, she actually has like a lot going on and she's not able to just wrestle alligators naked all day. And like shrug it off as no big deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also do appreciate all the throwbacks in the episode. Like Buffy mentions the three, which was like a nothing fight that she had. Um, and then what do they reference? Which, they, they reference, um, I only have eyes for you when Willow's like, that's where I fell into a muddy grave. Um, yeah. and I think some other things I, I appreciate the, like, I don't know. I always, I always like when they do that, especially with things that like aren't big episodes. Like, of course she's in a reference, the master and Angelus all the time, but like those like little episodes, I appreciate them referencing them 
here. Also, Cordelia has a really good line after that scene where Cordelia says, is that even her real hair color? <laughs> about Faith. <Right. laughs> so I would love to talk about this whole scene that I think is actually a really important scene where Faith has dinner with Buffy and her mom. Yes. Oh, yes. I think that that is a really well done scene because, for a few reasons. Um, you know, okay, just normal dinner at the house. Um, and... But I mean, Buffy's mom falls into that same trap where she's like enamored with Faith and Faith says that like, I don't like to think about being killed, you know, or I like to think about the guy getting the upper hand. And, you know, all of a sudden, Joyce, who's still new to all the Slayer thing, all the Slayer stuff, kind of like acts like, you know, Buffy is judges the way that Buffy approaches her slaying. I mean, Faith... Joyce always throws Buffy under the bus so quickly in these first few seasons when it comes to slaying. Joyce has, like, no confidence in Buffy, but also that is kind of like a mother thing where it's like, oh, do this better. Oh, do this better. That's true. Well, Justin, I would love to hear you your thoughts on that. I was checking my Slayer guy just to be sure, <laughs> but this is apparently the first time that Joyce really learns how Slayers appear in this scene because she oh, finds right. out that Buffy died and she didn't know that before. So that well, yeah. happens in the scene. Yeah. Well, you know, it's always funny. I, so she finds out that, um, that, that slayers die. And then like, you know, another one is called, I, I'm always like Buffy. No, like Buffy had to have known that her mom was going to find it out. Couldn't she have lied and been like, Oh no. Like, a long time ago, a Slayer died but was revived, and actually, I didn't die. It was, like, some other Slayer. Like, she could have played that off. I don't think... Like, I, like she also doesn't know about Kendra. Like, I'd be like, no, it was this yeah. other Slayer that died, or whatever. Because she just, I don't know, is way too quick to, like, tell her mom everything. And as someone who tells their parents everything, I'm always advising other people, like, please keep shit from your parents. Like, <laughs> because telling them everything is not the business. Um, and, yeah, so I just felt like she was way too, like, I, I really think Buffy, I mean, Buffy's really good at hiding stuff. I thought she would have been a little bit um, stealthier about the fact that she was drowned to death. Also, there's a reference to single white female here. From yeah. Buffy. She, there is. Which uh, becomes a theme between these two characters eventually, but yes. That's true, you're right. I never even thought, like, it does become like that. Uh, I love single white Also, so right funny. after that, so I, like, gift this whole scene as well. Right after that, Joyce says, it's a good thing you were an only child to Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So, do you, I think that, oh, maybe we'll do this later, but Justin something to keep in the back of your mind is that a recurring segment on Slayer <laughs> Fest 98 is what would Dawn do? Oh, uh, wow. And it's, it's a question we ask that if Dawn, since she was inserted into everyone's memories, we have to guess what Dawn would be doing during this episode. So tuck that in the back of your head and we'll get to it at the end. But we have to think about some things that Dawn would do if she were, if she were around when all this action was happening. Okay. Got it. <sighs> All right. Also, there's a big rewind here that I think we've missed something that uh, Giles' storyline during this episode or what he's doing. Yes. Is, yes. Because that sort of comes into play with something that you just said, Matthew, where Buffy keeps things to herself, you know, because apparently they don't actually quite know what happened with Akathala and Angel. So right. he spent the first part of this episode trying to get that information from Buffy and she tells him the story but she's not telling him the whole story. So so that's pretty important for the end of the episode, I think. Yes. I it's it's really weird that it's like Faith teaches her the lesson that she needs to get to of like telling everyone, but I think that's such a good storyline. Um like I said, I took an Ambien and like you know, I've been having a lot of feelings this summer cuz but normally yeah. I am. Um and I know we're going to get to there, Mark, but I s literally, like, ugly cried at that end because I was just like, oh, poor Buffy. Um, yeah, so I really like that storyline. <laughs> and it's such a side thing that, like, you barely notice throughout the episode because it does feel like, oh, Giles probably needs to do a thing that, yeah. like, they're not really explaining, but doesn't matter because it's just, like, whatever that he's doing and 
that sometimes happens on that show, but it actually ends up being, you know, him being a really great dad because he is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I think one of the more interesting, one of the interesting things, one of the interesting, I guess, like seeds that is sown in this episode is um, when Faith first arrives and she, well, first of all, she lies and says that her watcher is is on that retreat in the Cotswolds um, instead of saying that he's dead, um, and then uh, Giles talks about the retreat and kind of sh- says that he's not invited, which. Okay, Faith may be lying about the retreat, but maybe she knew the retreat was happening. I don't know. But he does... I think that it actually is trying to show the beginning of, like, a rift between Giles and the um, Watchers Association. Yeah. Yes. Um, that is going to actually come to fruition later in the episode when he... I mean, later in the season, when he's obviously, like, taken off of his duties and that they kind of just, like, don't like his American methods. So I think that it's actually a really good little nugget where they, like, show Giles being like, you know, I wish I was invited to this thing. Because at the end of the day, and I've said this to Ian before, like, there's all these Watchers and there's only two Slayers. So only two Watchers are actually doing their job. And (laughs) Giles is one of them. So for him to be excluded from shit, I feel like, he should actually be teaching them, like, hey, if you ever become become an actual watcher that watches over a slayer, like, he should be fucking doing TEDx talks about this shit. <laughs> yeah. But instead, they're kind of, like, excluding him. I mean, he... So... Yeah, like, what do you think they do? Like, do, like, are they all really bored at the Watcher's Council? Or, like... Wait a minute. Uh, help me figure something out here. Didn't Kendra's Watcher start training her before she was even called oh that's right they are so wouldn't they be doing that with their potentials they'd be yes some of them would be uh well you know there's a little uneven mythology here i guess because we don't know how many watchers there are and i guess some watchers are training potentials but then like we don't know how many potentials there are in the world because by the time we get to chosen it seems like there's like thousands of them but they make it seem like there's not as many in earlier seasons. Right, because in season five, when they come to visit, like, they're all Watchers, but none of them have, like, anyone that they're training or anything. Exactly. They're just, like, bureaucrats. Yeah, and, like, (laughs) when they all die in season seven, they're all in that building together, like, yeah. Spoiler alert or something. Um, Wow. Wow. (laughs) Sorry, people who haven't seen up to season seven. (laughs) Jesus, Ian. Also, Kachistos. Um, Kissing toast. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's my favorite, because I just, like, I know sometimes the show stretches, but I'm kind of like, I really don't think Buffy seriously heard Kissing Toast, like, <laughs> from Kachistos. Like, I don't know. You could have thought of a different pun. I'm always, I always think the Kissing Toast pun is so bad. <laughs> really? <laughs> Kissing toast and kikisos do not sound alike. Like, <laughs> she could have said that it sounds like, I don't know, kiki toes or something. I have no idea. But, like, kikisos and kissing toast are way too far off, and it always annoys me. For me, that's, like, Buffy being a little, like, she she is a little ditzy, and that's, like, her being, like, I don't know, it sounded something like, and her just saying, like, nonsense because she couldn't remember what it was. I relate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... Has, well, uh, so we I, skipped over something with Kikistos, though, and I really want to get to it. What? The scene where Faith is wailing on that vampire and Buffy is, like, concerned. Because it's the first time that I think the show is signaling to us that Faith is unhinged. Yes. In terms of, like, how badly she wants to beat up a vampire. Um, and, and, and it's also the first time that Buffy actually espouses some theories about how she kills vampires because seeing Faith do that, Buffy has to be like, Faith, will you just like stake him and go? Like it's a like a it's yeah. a it's a really quick it has to be a really quick process. Yeah. Well, I mean but also Buffy was mad because she wanted help. Like, right? Like she was kind of right. mad about that too. Um because like, you know, there, there are those of us who like to take, you know, their time masturbating, and there are those of us who like to oh get in and out and just be done with it. Ian, <laughs> this is a family podcast. Uh, is it? Um, well, you had Faith and Buffy about to have one of their 
what we will know to be classic fights and or arguments. Yeah. But then the vampires break them up, and it's sort of an interesting parallel because you finally get to see that you know Faith isn't controlled; she's wild, she's wailing on this vampire. Buffy's doing her thing, but Faith can't even stop to help her while she's about to get bitten by one. So, so it's sort of like a you know they're setting up their relationship going forward with this fight scene as well, which I love. Yeah, and also let me tell you, I mean. The fights have, you know, not aged that well, but I still love every time Buffy and Faith fight. Like, I still think it's some of the best fighting on the show. I agree. Well, I, I actually think that one of the interesting things in this episode um, that we don't see as much of, we get to it more down the line, is especially, I think, in the episode with Gwendolyn Post, when we first see Buffy and Faith fight for the first time, is that um, Buffy and Faith have very different fighting styles, and they kind of try to make it so that their fighting styles um, kind of represent who they are. Because Buffy's is a very like quick fighting style, and Bu- and Faith's is actually kind of like clunky, and she goes for like these big hits. Like she'll sometimes like lift her leg up, like she's about to stomp on you, but she'll leave herself wide open to being attacked. So I actually think if you watch the way they fight, Buffy is much more tactical. And Faith goes for the, and she also, Faith does this move a lot where she'll do a complete spin around to punch someone and leave <laughs> herself vulnerable for yes. like a while. And I, I I actually think about this, Ian. Like, I think Faith's fighting <laughs> style is just a little clunkier and, and more awkward well, than Buffy's. I think, and I, I mean, okay, so, you know, teen Ian only listening to pop punk, too cool for the radio, ugh loved faith this like and i feel like her fighting style is even like they tried to very much in like whenever joss whedon tries to do this it comes off like a dad doing it um not sexy dad like dad dad um i think it's trying to like be like oh look how like punk and like whatever she is like i feel like that fighting style almost fits to that whole aesthetic of like ooh, she wears like a denim vest in the next episode and like I just rolled my eyes because I have a denim vest. Um, But, like, I think that her clunky fighting style lends itself to that whole aesthetic they're going for with her. Like, she's maybe 16, already has a tattoo. Like, she, you know, dresses sexier, dresses edgier, and, like, whenever she's listening to music, it's, like, very, like, rock-sounding. And I feel like her fighting style is more, like... I don't know. I feel like it lends itself to that. I don't even really know how to prove my point with that, but I feel like it does. <laughs> I understand what you're saying. You know, Buffy, of course, we, we have to remember because she doesn't really do it much later on in the series. She's a former cheerleader. Yeah. She's all jump and kick and like flip, like gymnastic stuff. Whereas Faith is more guttural and, and I, wanna, I don't want to say beastly, but she's more just like like Matthew said, she's just in there just flailing her arms and beating people up you know there's not as much control there yeah that's definitely true yeah totally um so i guess we should talk about the conquistos plot now yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so what do you think of conquistos do you like like i i think i i've often thought of himself as like almost the master but for faith like just like that one because he's really old, like the master, so old that his hands and feet are cloven or whatever. Um, and, you know, Faith, it's actually interesting to see Eliza Dushku play scared because in a lot of ways, Faith Faith is a character that I think is afraid of everything, but is really good at playing like she's not. Um, and that's like her big character thing is that she just like won't admit that she's actually totally scared of life and what's going to happen to her. Um, but she really is afraid of Kakistos. And when you see Eliza Dushku get scared, she doesn't know how, or she doesn't, she only plays scared as if she's like a scared little girl. And it's really interesting to see Faith kind of go back to that kind of fear. And I think that, but I think it totally, like, you know, I did think of you, Matthew, because I thought, huh, Matthew always says about her range and her range is actually pretty good in this episode because I think she does the scared really well because she is supposed to be like 16 and yeah. like she looks sweaty and like stressed and like she's really anxious um 
I don't know. I think it's one of the more emotional faith scenes that we get. I mean, we've we've learned a few things about Faith this episode, where, like, she's from Boston. She didn't have any friends when she was in school. She, she does really come off as a, a loner. So, and, and later on, I, I think we, we see what kind of changes happen to the character. But at this point, I think it's important to point out, she's not completely crazy. She still has a normal range yeah. of human emotions. So later on, she might shut that all down when something happens. But right now, she's able to express that, you know, in that 16-year-old way. You know, I'm fine. Everything's going to be okay. I'm doing this. But I'm also running at the same time. And now I'm scared of this guy. And I love my watcher. And, and now my watcher's dead. And all that's happening here. She's still able to do all that. Well, I think that's actually an amazing point. It's just about, like, faith um, later on will will not have this range of emotion. But she'll still be dealing with a lot. She'll be dealing with, like feeling dejected and feeling like she's not part of the group and then like kind of going over to the other side and all that stuff. She'll be having a lot of internal stuff. And this might be the, the only time that we see faith kind of externalizing this type of fear. And I do think Eliza Dushku is good at it. I think that she's, like I've said, she has a limited range, but I think that as faith, she's exploring that it's her best acting like to date in anything that she's been in. And, um, yeah, I, I do like the way she, she plays the fear, too, because we're also going to see that edge go away from her. But something you brought up, Justin, that I think is really interesting, is, like, her being from Boston, just, like, I don't think they talk a lot about the kind of, like, the economic part of it all, but I do think that we're supposed to garner that, like, faith is from, like, a lower socioeconomic status, you know? Yeah. I don't yes. know. I feel like we're supposed to get that, and they don't really say it. But we're supposed to get that she is, like, from probably, like, you know, some factory town outside of Boston or something. And, like, you know, we're supposed to get that she didn't have a lot growing up or whatever and that she's had a hard life. Like, I really think that that's part of her mythos that is actually glossed over a lot is the class aspect of it. Yeah, like, having when she was having dinner with Joyce and Buffy, she's, like, reaching over into Buffy's plate when Buffy isn't looking. I don't think sitting down and having a family dinner with someone's mom is something that she's used to. Yes. You know? Well, also, wait, so... Oh, my God, now I'm rewinding. I forgot to bring this up. Also, the reason I love that scene so much, and it's so weird that Joyce... I mean, Joyce, I feel like, often throws Buffy under the bus... But it's weird that she does because the whole thing is very queer for me, and that's why I love it. Like, Joyce even fucking says, I tried to march on the Slayer Pride Parade, and I think I actually said, no, you didn't, because, like, Joyce did not. Joyce did not try to march on any Slayer Pride Parade. She has had trouble dealing with it and yelled at her daughter in front of her friends at a party about it. Um, And I feel like that, like, lots of times... They do, and I'm really, like, not so in love with the, like, things as a metaphor for queerness, because sometimes, like, in True Blood, when they, like, have them, I think I even mentioned this before, they have them, like, trying to be like, oh, vampires deserve equal rights, but the vampires in True Blood are actually killing and murdering and eating people, so I'm like, eh, I don't really love that metaphor, but I think it works here, the way it works kind of in X-Men sometimes, um, and it's almost like Joyce is still having trouble even meeting the other Slayer slash, like, what could be considered the, like, queer relationship. Like, Joyce likes Faith, but still doesn't like the Slayer aspect slash the queerness aspect. Um, oh my gosh, that's she's on some uh, hate, hate the sin, love the sinner bullshit yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, I know that I'm like sidetracking us, but I just wanted—I forgot that I wanted to bring that up. Like I like, I like gift Joyce doing that because I thought like, but are you Joyce? Are you really marching in the Slayer Pride Parade because you kicked your daughter out when you found out, then got mad at her because she left when you kicked her out, then at a party and yelled at her in front of everyone? So like, in what episode were you like actually being accepting of all of this? Because this well, seems like go- the first episode she is. I want to go back to what Justin was saying, because with the class thing, what when Faith does come to for dinner, we see her kind of like she's eating everyone's food. And it feels very much like someone who, you know, like has very little and who is like at this dinner table where she is like seeing more food than she's ever seen on a dinner table before. It's kind of has that like 
when Annie goes to like Daddy Warbucks's house for the first time yeah. or something yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. Even yeah. though obviously like Buffy and her mom, they have a nice house and how they do it in Southern California on an art on like a gallery owner's salary <laughs> is weird, but we won't go into that. <laughs> but like um yeah, but I definitely think that that is a big part of it is that like Buffy or Faith just feels like um I don't know. She hasn't been given a lot in life and you know, that, that she has a, like a, not a, I don't know if the phrase a chip on her shoulder is correct here, but she feels like she's kind of owed something. Yeah. We also see faith at the, uh, uh it's not a hotel. I forget one of those, you know, places where you pay a certain amount of money a day and you can stay there. And she's also run out of money. So she doesn't even have $18 to pay for her room for that night. So, so she didn't really come there with a plan or any money. That's true, yeah. I forgot about that part, that she doesn't have the money, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, Um, So, Kikistos, um, I I mean, for as much as is made of him, the fight with Kikistos actually goes down pretty simple. There's not, like, a huge... It's not a huge deal to take care of him, but I will say it's one of my favorite kills just because of how big the stake is. (laughs) I think it's... it's, And it, it also reminds me of how... Later, um, Buffy will kill the demon in Gingerbread because they both kind of do like oh, the yeah. stake. She also kills him while she's has the stake tied to her back. So they actually do that twice this season. But I actually like them both. Um, also, Kakis. Oh, sorry, sorry. I also, suddenly- it's a tie to uh, what we'll, those vampires will see in the later seasons, where a small stake isn't going to do anything. You really need to get a big one and hammer it all the way in there. Because Kakistos is very old, and those vamps yeah. that we'll see later on, they're also very old. Yeah, like the Uber vamps you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, it, it also is like, a, it's a very interesting, like, one size does not fit all kind of mantra. Like, you know, we're kind of taught, like, vampires, a little sunlight, a little garlic, a little steak, something like that, but or holy water. Um, and it's interesting to see what Joss does with the mythology um, of, you know, not... Especially with the the cloven part, I think that that's an interesting aspect to Kikistos because we're supposed to know that the master is very old, but he didn't have cloven hands. Exactly. Um, so to know that Kikistos does means that he's probably survived for a long, long, long time. Yes. Also, Mr. Trick in that fight points out, you know, if he wants to go on his little vengeance things and chase after slayers, that's fine. Once again, he reiterates that he's for the big picture, let Buffy go ahead and fight them. Fight him. He's out. He's done. That's how oh he's going to live. Oh my god! Yeah, I think. Oh, I love that part. Our, our prayers are with part. him. Like, <laughs> yeah, like he's really. I mean, he and that's again kind of shows his smarts. Like he's really smart, and he kind of sees the writing on the wall. Like Kikisos is going to die. Like I'm not going to stick around. It's kind of like no one wants to vote for a loser, and like no one wants to be associated with that. So Trick's kind of like, listen. It was cute. I thought I was on the winning team, but I need to get out of here. And he goes elsewhere. I don't know. Is this the, like, when do we see Trick take a meeting with the mayor? Is it this episode or is it's it another episode? Homecoming. Yeah, it's homecoming, later on. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was actually supposed to have a conversation with Buffy in this episode, Mr. Trick, but they cut that part out for time. Oh. Oh, really? Yeah. They actually referenced the original Buffy movie with the uh, music stopping. And the line was, Mr. Trick, I believe this dance is mine. Buffy says the music stopped. Mr. Trick replies, but the beat goes on. Give me what you got. And then they were supposed to fight. But they cut that whole thing out of the script. Oh, wow. From the Slayer's Guide. So prepared. (laughs) 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 Oh, wait, do you... Wait, are, do you actually have the, the book, The Slayer's Guide? I'm literally sitting with it next to me. I found it on my shelf. Oh my god, that makes I was me so happy. <laughs> I've never had the book, and I think I've like looked at it once. Like I think a friend of mine had it, and I always wanted it. Oh, I, I read those any- things cover to cover. I think I need to go on Amazon and like purchase it. Because, right, Justin, especially when they came out, it was kind of like pre... Like, we had the internet, but it wasn't like it was now. So it was exactly. like all of these great fun facts for like every episode i remember being bummed that they never released one for the last either the last two or the last three seasons of angel i think they only released like ones for the first few seasons of angel 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, back then on the internet, you had a uh, they had the concept of keepers, where you could pretend like you were a part of the show, and you could keep an item from a particular character that you love, and they would put your name on a list. And they had Willow spells that website had started up, but for the most part, there wasn't really a whole lot of information. Yeah, yeah. I've I've often quoted. Um, like trivia I found on the internet from back then on our podcast and found out that it was completely false. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so what... So, and then we get to the very end, which I think is, like, such good Giles' dad moment of him, like, Buffy opening up. And for me, this is one of those, like... So, like, especially with the news that came out, recently i said that i think buffy works because of all of the parts i think the show is a sum of all of its parts and i think in this scene at the end the three of them are all really fucking acting like willow barely says anything and her expressions are so good when she hears what buffy has to say um and giles stays blank pretending there's a spell And then Buffy walks out and Willow's like, I want to help. I want to help do this. I know you think. And he just says, there is no spell. And for me, that's such a good moment. Um, And it's a, watching this episode, I forgot that that, like I I knew that happened, but I think I forgot it was in this episode. Um, Because it is kind of a big deal for such a like almost throwaway moment, but it's a really big deal. And I just think everyone's doing like fucking fantastic in that scene. I don't well, know. <laughs> you know, and and it is it's not a big it's not announced as a big scene the way that there are so many scenes in the library where they all find out about stuff yeah. and they all get yeah. arguments and stuff and it's not played up as a big scene and I actually I will I will reveal to everyone that I didn't get it for until like probably the last time I watched it that when Giles says there is no spell I always thought that he was saying like that now that like Buffy revealed what happened that the spell wouldn't work or something I didn't realize that he was like trying to get Buffy to talk about it and that this was his kind of like low-key like fatherly way to be like I need you know my daughter my slayer to like talk to me about this and that he was kind of doing this ruse and I always felt like I mean not always like when I watched it and got that recently I was not I was like oh I wish they had signaled that more or maybe I was just dense that I just didn't get it (laughs) but yeah it's not uh, it's not signaled as this big important conversation the way other ones in the library are, but it is very important. Yeah. One of the things I loved about that conversation, I, I think it's the second or third time she's explained it at that point. And it's sort of like, you know, the, the first time wasn't good enough, Giles. The second time wasn't good enough. Oh, but now this time we're finally going to get to the truth of what's happening yeah. and we can let it go. Also, not to throw us too far back, but Willow mentions that you know she wants to help Giles and this is sort of setting up her relationship with him and magic later on as well because she's been practicing spells not just spells that we've seen on screen but she makes it pretty clear she's been doing stuff off screen too yeah yeah that's true and I outside of Giles's beautiful. jurisdiction exactly uh-huh. um well then the real ending to the episode after that is Buffy agrees to go on a date with Scott Hope um, this is also why I love this episode because honestly, a million things happen in this episode. It feels like two or three episodes. I know, of and shit it happened. Yeah, and I feel like I agree with that in the best possible way. Like it's not like a clusterfuck episode, but so but much happens. It's just so much plot. So then she agrees to go on a date with Scott Hope, um, and she then returns the Clotter ring to Angel's apartment or house i don't know that's not an apartment in any sense of the word (laughs) um to angel's palatial mansion and um he appears um justin i want to know as someone who watched it who's a little bit older who watched who had because also as we know ian this was his first episode so he didn't really know everything that was happening with angel and blah 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 so as someone who's watching it from the beginning when it was airing on TV, bring me back to that moment of seeing Angel appear naked, you know, like, what was going through your mind? <laughs> I think people were so freaked out by it at school because nobody, well, not because he's naked, but because no one actually expected him to come back so quickly or relatively quickly yeah. between yeah. seasons. Because back then we didn't have all these spoilers online telling us what was going to happen. So all of a sudden, we're like, oh my gosh, he's moved on, and then he just falls out. When, is, when are they going to meet up? What's going to happen next? We weren't really sure. 
But it was kind of awesome just to see that happen because I don't think anybody expected it. I I always thought it was a little fast too. Like I thought they yeah. could have gone a few more episodes without Angel, but also I guess he's on the payroll and they're like, We gotta we, yeah. we're gonna be paying David Boreanis. We need his limited acting range in all these episodes. <laughs> yeah, if it were like a Netflix series or an HBO show, they probably would have had maybe half a season at least without him at all. But because it's like a network TV show and in the 90s and he's being paid, like they probably were like, okay, we got to bring him back. Yeah. Also, I can honestly say that, oh boy, seeing David Boreanaz naked falling out of whatever the vortex is really did it for teen Ian. Still does it for 34-year-old Ian. Wow. Well, I just, I I always, um, I mean... To end on that, too, I can't imagine in the... I mean, I I watched it happen, but I didn't have the whole background. Like I said, I just started with Anne, so I actually didn't know everything that happened. Um, Living in the day of weekly appointment television, how... You know, because Buffy was written... Buffy... One of the best things about the way Buffy is written is that Buffy is written for TV in a way that shows are not even to this day. Like, it's written to have an exciting moment right before the commercial and then the, the, the resolution of that exciting moment after the commercial and then in between episodes and stuff like that. For this one to end on that, I can only imagine waiting for the next Tuesday, you know? And like, like you said, like talking in school, like going to your friends and being like, holy shit, Angel appeared out of nowhere because Buffy left this clotter ring. And like, you know, was it her love that brought him back? Like, you know, did did he earn redemption because she loved him or, you know, just like all those questions that pop up. I think it's so expertly done. Yes, definitely. I agree. (laughs) Um, So before we... Before we grade the episode, what do we think Dawn would have been doing in this episode, and how would Dawn have reacted to Faith? <laughs> I think Dawn would have hated Faith. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, 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 I'm not sure. Uh, I could see why she would have hated Faith, because that might have been the complete and total unexpected thing to do. Or maybe, she, I, I was thinking maybe she would have been enamored with her to the point where it annoyed Buffy. Huh, okay. Because oh, that whole constant thing would have kept going on because Buffy would sometimes get annoyed by stuff that Dawn was thinking or saying, but I could have seen her just trying to dress up like Faith or becoming a little more wild and being told to calm down, you know? Well, at this point, Dawn is like 12 or 13, would have been like 12 or 13, so I actually think that seeing this like rebellious thing come out of nowhere might have been very appealing to like a young 12 or 13-year-old Dawn, yeah. but, I, but it depends because it also could have been like my sister's a better slayer than you. It could have gone either way. Like it could have been like, she would have been totally on the faith train and Buffy would have been like, Dawn, you too. Or it could have been that Dawn was the only person who didn't like faith. And Buffy would have actually been into that because everyone seems to like, think that faith was better at being a slayer than Buffy was. Because so I picture younger Dawn being almost like Cordelia slash like a little slut shamey. Like, I imagine her being like, oh, she dresses sexy, I don't like it. But I also could see Justin's point of view, where maybe she'd be like, oh, wow, she's really cool, and doesn't like, kind of the way teen Ian reacted to Faith. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think, yeah. And she probably would have had that one scene at dinner, and either been enamored or completely annoyed, and that's all we would have seen at Dawn in this episode. Okay, how do we all grade this episode, because I give it an A+. I'm um, an A plus too. I will do the same. A plus all around. It's Matthew, unanimous. Matthew, is this our first time where we all agree on the grade? I think. <laughs> um, I don't know. The other episodes where we've done this that have been big episodes have been two part episodes. So sometimes it's like we're grading, mm, right, right. but like Faith, Hope, and Trick feels like a two parter almost because there's so much that happens. But I think you're right. I think this is the first time that everyone has kind of. Agreed, but we're often in the same range anyway. Yeah, yeah, true. Justin, thank you so much for being on. Um, you can follow our podcast on Twitter at SlayerFestX98, and you can follow me on Twitter at IanXCarlos. 
And you can follow me. Oh, sorry. You can follow me. (laughs) I was a little, I jumped the gun. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Rodriguez. Matthew with one T, Rodriguez with a G and a Z. And Justin? You can follow me at Justin Centric. Justin, C-E-N-T-R-I-C, Centric. Thank you. And Justin is a delight on Twitter. That's how we met. Um, And thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.